Hello and welcome to Fundamental Value, a journey to quantify crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with the leading hedge funds, analysts, trading venues, and digital asset market participants. Our goal is simple, to understand how the leading minds in the cryptocurrency space are researching, analyzing, and quantifying the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast should not be construed as the provision of investment advice or as an offer to buy or sell any securities or tokens or to make or consider any investment or course of actions. You can view our show notes for our complete disclosures. In this week's episode, I am joined by Thibaut, co-founder and CEO of Multis. Thibaut, it's good to have you on. Hi, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah, so before we, you know, even dive deep into uh, into the podcast, I saw that uh, you did an an exchange program at McGill. So I'm a, I'm a McGill alum, and uh, there are actually quite a few of us uh, in crypto that uh, you know a lot of people have been popping up. I don't know if you know CZ uh, from Binance is a McGill alum, and, and you know a bunch of others. So would love to kind of hear about your experience living in Montreal and going to school at McGill. Well, I loved it. I mean, both Monty and, uh, and McGill, actually, I did not stay that long. Uh, so, you know, uh, I did that as part of my, uh, you know, my uh, studies, um, you know, at Sciences Po in France. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of energy in the city. I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of a techno kid and there's a lot of, you know, uh, live shows in Montreal. Uh, you get this kind of US and European vibe, you know, uh, which is, which was a perfect, perfect match for me. Uh, so I kind of went home. And, um, you know, I have to say that McGill was actually <laughs> a little bit more demanding than what I expected for third year abroad. Um, but, uh, you know, I had, you know, amazing classes and uh, fantastic teachers. So I really had a blast there. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, McGill, it's just like, I think they try to make your life miserable with classes. So, <laughs> I remember did, I, was in, well. I was in... <laughs> I was in the business school and, and the average grade in every class had to be between a 65 and a 74. Oof. So, so there were times where like, you know, I had an A in the class, but then it got rounded down to like an A minus or, you know, something. And I was just like, you have to be kidding me. Well, um, I can tell you, I was definitely in that range yeah. uh, when it came to accounting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's funny now looking back how, at how little that mattered in my life. But oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time, it was a lot of stress. So let's, let's dive in, though. So, so prior to crypto, you, know, you, you held a, a number of really interesting roles. You were an M&A analyst. You were a co-founder of an insurance claim automation company. You worked in VC. Can you give us a bit of a background on yourself, uh, you know, before you fell down the crypto rabbit hole? Sure, sure. I mean, it felt like that, you know, I lived several professional lives, really. Um, I, you know, as I said, I, I studied political science uh, at Transport in Paris. So I, you know, really wanted to dive into politics right after school. Um, and, you know, for some reason, I, you know, still trying to figure out how, but uh, for some reasons, I ended up working in, uh, in uh, you know, investment banking, um, you know, working on very, capital intensive energy projects, um, you know, spend a couple of years there, uh, tremendous experience, huge learning curve, obviously. Um, but I just wanted to build stuff, you know, uh, and start from scratch and small teams. So I started a company, um, as you say, um, you know, companies in the, in the insurance space, because I felt at that time that there was pretty clunky. So there was room for, you know, to make, um, th there was a business opportunity, an obvious one. Um, to be quite frankly, it did not work well. Uh, one of the reasons being that I also joined a political campaign and, uh, uh, you know, I guess that was my first love story. So I quickly get hooked and, uh, you know, um, I guess the business suffered a little bit from that, especially in such an early stage. So we, we stopped the company at some point. Um, but anyway, so yeah, politics again. And, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I joined a, uh, a politician running for office um, did not work that well for him, which is why I had to find another job. Uh, and that's how I joined a, a small VC, um, you know, called the, the, the studio. Um, the, that was a way for me to get back into the tech space, uh, but I always saw it as a temporary stunt because, again, I wanted to build stuff, you know. Um, so I joined Stratum, which is, which is actually the first blockchain company. Uh, I joined. So it's a funny thing because at that time we were not talking about crypto. We are talking about blockchain, you know, Bitcoin first, blockchain, crypto, not digital assets. The jargon is always evolving, <laughs> which, I, which I love about this space. Um, but still, so we, I joined this company as first sales, um, basically, you know, um, set up 
um, design and set up their first go-to-market strategies. Spent two years there, amazing experience. But again, I wanted to I wanted to go deeper and deeper and build my own company, uh, which is why I teamed up with my co-founder Theo. Um, he, he had a you know a huge experience in the crypto space, built SaaS applications, so it kind of makes sense to to team up. Because um, I feel that you know, um, bringing my own banking experience, my own um, entrepreneur experience, um, you know, joining mine with with his, uh, is actually uh, uh, you know probably a good start to build a, a crypto bank. And so, I guess you know your your first experience, you know, was was your I guess blockchain, not crypto, you know, position that you held. But w- when was your the first time you actually like bought a Bitcoin or interacted with mm-hmm. with crypto, not blockchain? I remember specifically this moment that was in 2014 in Greece, and I was struggling with the Coinbase app, which at that time was terrible, but still, you know, way better than anything that you could find at that time. Uh, so I still remember that time I was actually in Larissa, uh, northwestern Greece. So that's uh, you know just out of curiosity, investing some of my money as a you know young professional, nothing really consistent. Um, I to be to be honest with you, I I don't think I realized really the the full potential of the technology at the time. Just wanted to get some exposure, and uh, so that was you know uh, I guess that was a, uh, I got pretty fortunate at that time, and uh, my real. You know the 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 the, the specific. What was mo- the aha moment? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the aha moment is actually you know going back to politics. So at that time, you know, we were exploring um, uh, you know fraud resistant voting systems. Um, we wanted to find something more robust to enable decentralized voting, um, especially for you know people that could not move to actual um, you know uh, port stations. So we, we we investigated Bitcoin and what was called colored coins at the time. I'm not even sure it still exists, you know. Um, and uh, and then I realized I was like, man, you know, this is about empowering people. This is amazing. This is about you know shaking things down and uh, and uh, you know uh, just cutting intermediaries and again empowering people. I was I was amazed actually, uh, you know, without understanding the full picture, I was like, wow, this is really something I want to work on. Um, and then, you know, I had the opportunity to join Stratum and, 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 and Maltese and, uh, uh, you know, and again, crypto is like the, the backbone of a more like efficient, transparent financial system. And I think that, you know, in, in the end, whether it's politics or finance, it's the same in the end. Uh, it's, it's just about empowering people. So I guess that was the haha moment that I, you know, I, I keep, keep, you know, keep experimenting on a real basis here. And so before we dive deep into Multis, I noticed that uh, you had the opportunity of being part of Y Combinator. So would love to hear a bit about your experience as a founder going through the YC, you know, going through YC and, you know, what your kind of biggest takeaways were from, from the experience. That was amazing. I mean, I'm telling you, that was a life-changing opportunity, uh, especially for French founders. You know, it's, uh, it's not as, you know... Uh, U.S. funders are all aware of YC, but sometimes in France, you're like, you you really look at, you know, European accelerators, investors, etc. And joining YC, YC was amazing. I mean, we, you know, we we did that for three reasons uh, mainly: the mentoring, uh, because we, you know, they they they've been mentoring so many startups, so they know uh, how to help you, basically, how to make you grow as funders. Uh, we, you know, we went there for the network as well. Obviously, um, there's a huge network of YC funders, including, you know, some crypto people. Uh, uh, you know, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase, etc. Um, and I guess the last thing is um, kind of, you know, credibility because we, we we're working on a cutting edge tech, and as French founders, uh, I feel that you know we had to get exposure to the US, where the crypto space is a little bit more advanced. Um, you know, um, and you know those. In the end, going through YC was fantastic in terms of learning curve and helped us a lot, um, you know, through the the, the, the fundraising process. Um, the yeah, I mean, I mean, we you know when you when you think about YC, you only do two things. Um, the all the, the only things that matter is you talk to a users and you build your product and that's it. The rest is noise and uh, and I think it's uh, it makes the, the the it helps you go back to the basics of building a company. Um, which is which is why you know YC is so good at. And so one thing you quickly alluded to there that I'd love to dive deep on a little bit is is the the crypto space in France. Mm. So we actually brought uh, 
uh, Kaiko on, so you're actually our second, I, I believe, oh, French so crypto company. Almost uh, uh, joined. <laughs> yeah, which is which is funny because that you know other than the U.S. that maybe France may be second in terms. We we've only done you know I don't know 15 episodes so far, so France may be second in terms of representation on uh, in episodes. But I, I'd love to kind of hear you know what the crypto scene is like in in France and in Europe more broadly, and how that's progressed since you first you know, got into the space full-time with Multis? Uh, you know, traditionally, European funders are more, I guess they're more, they're more B2B oriented and they're more, um, well, what I, can, what I can tell you is that the, and more, more business oriented and more, sorry, more uh, B2B oriented and more institutional oriented. Um, so one of the key differences I see is that a lot of founders here in Europe are building stuff for institutionals. All they're building, you know, um, you, we have a lot of market makers, we have a lot of, uh, um, you know, trading exchanges designed for um, investment funds, etc. Uh, so we don't have any, we don't have so much exposure to DeFi, to the DeFi ecosystem that you can see in the in the US, for example. And that's that's actually a huge difference. Uh, the US is all about Ethereum and smart contracts and etc. And this is not the case in France. I think I think we might be one of the only, you know, there might be ten companies working in the DeFi space, which is nothing. Um, and even Kaiko, which is an amazing company, they're working to provide, you know, actionable data and insights to institutionals. Um, so, you know, the market is really uh, oriented to a different targets, different target customers. Uh, I'd say that's the, the main difference. Um, the good thing about Europe, though, is that we are, um, you know, the crypto space, I believe that the crypto space and the fintech space, the fintech space, sorry, are getting increasing, increasingly closer. There are a lot of synergies, and we, we can talk about the multi vision a, a little bit a little bit further down the road. But uh, and I feel that uh, you know the, the 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 French ecosystem is benefiting from a very advanced regulatory um, approach, say uh, for fintech and crypto. So I think everything is moving in, into the right direction for us, and that's actually one of the reasons why we decided to go back to France uh, and to be closer to the French regulator, which is extremely helpful. So what is Multis and, and what was the original uh, vision of the firm when you first got started and, you know, how, if it has, you know, uh, how has it evolved over, you know, over time? Well, the vision itself has not evolved. The product has evolved like already multiple times. Um, the vision, you know, in the end is pretty simple. So it, it has not moved, um, you know, a bit. Um, we, we, we started Multis because we, we see, and, you know, everybody can agree on that, that the financial system is, uh, it's broken. I mean, it's not working anymore. It's opaque. It's clunky. It's frustrating, and you'll have a hard time, uh, you know, you know, sharing a good and positive experience around banking. So we, we, we that, that was the first uh, realization of Notice. Um, banks are still built on payment infrastructure that, you know, dates back from the seventies. Um, nothing has changed. So, you know, we wanted to build. Uh, we, we wanted to build another. Uh, another kind of financial system, an alternative financial system. And we feel that, you know, using cryptocurrencies and, and, and blockchains are a fantastic opportunity to do that. It's, a, you know, to start fresh, to, to, to build a system that actually, and, you know, sometimes sounds a little bit naive, but really empowers people and entrepreneurs, provide them the resources they need to thrive. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going back to, to, to stuff I said a little bit earlier, but it's really important in terms of vision. So, again, the vision has not changed. Said about you know building an alternative financial system that can provide better services um, to people that you know uh, most need them. Now, if you're asking me about the actual product, well, <laughs> we still have a long road ahead, huh? right? Um, so, what we do today is we build business bank accounts. So we chose to focus on B two B because we feel that's where we can have the most impact. Um, so we, we we're building business bank accounts for companies holding euros, dollars, cryptocurrencies. So we, we, you know, we, we enable our clients to store the digital assets um, with, alongside the traditional currencies with uh, you know, uh, business features like access control. Um, we help them earn interest on the treasury. Um, I can, can talk about DeFi a little bit, a little bit later. Uh, and we help them, and this is the most important thing today, we help them make instant payments abroad, which is a key differentiator um, you know, to, the, to the existing banking system. So would that be competitive to a company like TransferWise then, I guess, in terms of, in terms of that functionality? Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. That's, a good, uh, that's actually a good competitor you mentioned. And, you know, like eBen First as well in the U.S. and uh, Sorry, in the, 
in uh, in Europe is actually even closer to what we could do uh, using stable coins. Um, we, we and, just... and so is the is the difference between TransferWise and, and yourselves in terms of in terms of the way that you're you're enabling real time cross border payments. The fact that you guys are using stable coins is the as the method of payment as opposed to as opposed uh, to fiat. Absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look at TransferWise and Iban first, you know, without you know delving too much into details, they're basically using Swift networks. Uh, the Swift network, sorry, which is like the the, the payment infrastructure that has been built over since the seventies. Uh, we, you know, using stable coins allows us to just basically cut all the intermediaries that you would have between transferwise. So the company A transferwise and the company B. You have enough wedge 15 companies, 15 intermediaries, we just cut them all. Uh, we're running on a totally different network, which is the stable coins uh, to kill volatility. And, uh, and yeah, that's how we process actual value and not data and then value. This is the key difference. And so is your customer base then paying you like a monthly fee or, or you know, when, when you send a cross-border wire transfer, right, it's, it's incredibly expensive. And, you know, we've talked a lot and I know that you and I are going to get into this, you know, later, you know, the fact that, you know, more broadly, and this is more of a B2C thing, but like, you know, from, from a B2C perspective, the average cost globally of sending a foreign remittance at a bank and a post office is between seven and 11%, which is just, you know, un- unbelievable, right? It's horrendous. And, and, I mean, there's no, I mean, if you, if you look at, you know, tech today and, and, and you know, you should be able to send money as easily and as cheaply as an email. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, and the thing is, domestically, we've kind of seen that, right? Like in the United States, we have Cash App and we have Venmo and you have the ability to send money yeah. instantaneously at no fees. But the World Bank has actually put out some research and globally, the average cost of a remittance using you know a mobile bank even is still two and a half percent, which is just, in, you know, it's in- incredibly expensive. I mean, you, you, you rightly mentioned Venmo and the others, but if you look at the, the payment market as a whole, I mean, there's still a lot of room to make to make better products. I mean, Venmo is like, I don't know the figures, but, you know, I would assume that the payment market in the US is far larger than, you know, Venmo's shares uh, of it, basically. So there's still a lot of things that you can do. And, you know, I read a tweet, uh, and, uh, you know, a founder complaining that he paid 25 bucks to make a single domestic payment wire. I mean, oh, we do that all the time. All yeah, the time, we pay. Just doesn't bucks. make any sense. It's and, and we have, you know, we have some, you know, um, partners in different countries, and every time we wire them money on a monthly basis, we're paying forty dollars. Yeah, well, you know, with forty dollars, you could afford a multis account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so is that is that the revenue model then? Is the revenue model then taking a monthly fee, or are you also charging a transactional fee, or is if somebody's sending, you know, for example, USD, you know, USDT. On the Ethereum network, are they just paying gas fees? How does that work? No, so we we, we have two um, two ways to make money at Multis. The first is multi subscription. So we have a standard plan at forty nine dollars a month. Uh, so with that, you can make as many transfers as you want. So that's the first thing. Uh, what really matters here is that we actually cover for gas fees. You know, from it doesn't make any sense for a company to pay fees to the network. From I mean, we realize. As a you know, from an accounting perspective, just just a mess. So we basically, take out this complexity. Um, you know, we're simplifying the user experience basically, and we're covering fees to do just that. Now, so, the second, so how does that how does that affect how does that work in effect? Are you are you're not custodying the assets of the users, are you? And and just transferring money between accounts, like how how does that actually work in practice? So we're a self custodian wallet, which means we never hold your funds. Um, so you own the wallet, you own the keys, basically, uh, and you know through smart contracts we were able to, um, you know, to basically, uh, uh, how do you say that? Like split uh, the transfer uh, from the, you know, the fees that you you owe to the network, and we cover that for you. Now, um, obviously, we we monitor that, so we we wouldn't be. We wouldn't accept people doing yield farming with our solutions, for example, uh, because that would not be sustainable for us. But for most transfers, we are able to batch them and to process them in a cost-efficient way for us and for our customers. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so I guess your your ideal type of clients could be anybody from, I mean, well, I, I'll let you dive in. I mean, you mentioned B2B, but do you want to kind of hop into specific examples of, of mm-hmm. use cases that you've solved for? 
I mean, realistically, today we're not selling to the you know to the to the bakery shop around the corner. <laughs> we, so we're mostly focusing on on B two B companies, uh, tech companies, actually uh, startups. Uh, you know, our our clients are mostly founders and executives from from you know again, companies between five and twenty five people today. Um, they're usually familiar with wallets, with crypto, uh, without you know being uh, tech experts. Um, they start to generate some revenues in crypto. Uh, they start paying partners and especially remote staff with stablecoins. So they need um, they need a solution which is designed for business specifically to help consolidate firms, to help you know streamline and track transactions. Just you know just access the same features as you would expect from a business bank. Um, if you look at you know wallets today, uh, those customers of ours um, relied on individual wallets. So MetaMask or, um, you know, Coinbase or you name it, which are great tools, but they are just not, a, you know, not adapted to, to, uh, to business operations. And so, you know, as a company, we use Coinbase Commerce, for example, to, to accept mm-hmm. crypto payments. So, you know, what are, what are the, the benefits of using Multis over platforms like Coinbase Commerce? Or are, you know, it, it sounds like it's more of a complementary thing, right? Like I would take Coinbase Commerce for payments and then use Multis to pay um, you know, for example, some of my business partners or, or, or staff members. Absolutely. I think at this stage, there are obvious synergies between the two solutions. Um, let's, you know, you, you would, Coinbase is designed as a checkout solution. You accept payments. You can embed it in your website, for example. It's kind of like PayPal, for example, with crypto, right? Now, Multis is designed as a bank account. So more like your business Wells Fargo account, again, right. with crypto. So as soon as you start receiving more payments, say your business is booming, well, it makes no sense to keep your funds in a, you know, in a self-custodial account like Coinbase Commerce because you share your credentials with, you have to share credentials with, 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 with other people on the team uh, if you want to you know, give them access to funds. Um, it's a little bit riskier than the solution will boot. I mean, you don't leave 50K in your PayPal account, right? Well, you just don't do that with your Coinbase commerce account. I mean, at least you should not. You 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 basically need a more robust solution uh, with team access control, with the payment approval workflows. Um, you know, you need transaction history, you need tags, you need um, you need CSV, CSV exports. You, you need a proper business bank account. Right, totally makes sense. And so, and and maybe I should add a last thing. Uh, yeah, we also, you know, uh, just like a bank, again, we help you generate interest in stablecoins, um, you know, which I think is pretty cool from a treasury optimization perspective. And so are you connecting users to the, the lending platforms of their choice? Or are you just offering set interest rates? You know, how, how are these trans- are, are these being made through centralized solutions? You know, like, are, are you working with centralized, you know, places like like BlockFi and, and, and Celsius? Are you working with the centralized platforms? How are you actually generating yield for your clients? So we are creating the best protocols out there for our clients. Because we're doing B2B, we're not a DeFi gateway like other solutions. Um, so we, we, we take time to carefully, you know, um, check the protocol, uh, you know, check the team behind it, uh, see whether there's traction, whether there's volume, etc. So um, a good example of this is is, is compound finance. So we chose we chose compound finance as our yield provider, if you will. Now this partly answers to your um, to your question. Um, we rely on, on decentralized protocols because we feel more comfortable with transparency they offer. And if you look at BlockFi or Celsius, I mean, there's there are recurring debates over is this a Ponzi scheme? Um, you know, what are they doing with the funds? How can they sustain? those 8% yield uh, completely uncorrelated from market dynamics. So we, we, we just feel more comfortable building with decentralized protocols. And so how, how do you deal with smart contract risk, right? And, and, and what happens if, you know, we saw in Q2, there were five major DeFi hacks, right? You know, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you properly disclose to your customers, you know, you know the potential risks of these platforms and and how do you you know how do you get your cu- customers comfortable with you know I I mean I, I understand that you serve a, a lot of crypto native businesses so I guess my question would would more be do you do you see an opportunity to convince more traditional businesses to open accounts 
with you into inter- and, and, and to, to transact via stablecoins? And if so, how do you get them comfortable with the yield generating products that exist within crypto? You know, when, when you don't have, you know, uh, you know, as, as, as long standing and robust systems as you have in more traditional markets? Well, you have two risk. Uh, and I think it's important to, you know, to split them. The first one is, is credit risk, right? So this is something that exists in the traditional financial system as well. And when you look at the figures, uh, you know, collateral ratios, you know, um, even though your uh, most of yield providing solutions today are not even insured by the FDC schemes, for example. So that's something that is transparent if you look at the terms and conditions. Still, people do lend money to their platform through these platforms. So first thing is, is the actual declutter risk. And when you look at decentralized protocols, well, you're usually between 120% and 150% of the, of the, you know, of the principle. So in terms of risk, and we, we feel actually comfortable with that. Um, now, as you, as you mentioned, there is a smart contract risk. So this is the most important of them all. The right now, uh, the only thing that we can do is create is create the best tools and, and, and check that you know teams are legit. So that's why we, we decided to go with Compound. We are super transparent on that. This is a risky investment. Um, this is a self-custodian wallet, so we, we're not liable um, if anything happens to our users firms. They make the decisions, they make the transactions. Um, one of the things we are investigating is insurance. Insurance those smart contracts, you know, with a basically an umbrella decentralized umbrella policy covering all users when they use multis for specific transactions, like investing the treasury into compound. Uh, one of the solutions is called Nexus Mutual. Uh, great team, great protocol, strong, um, strong insurance expertise. So this is, I believe, this is the future. This is something we need uh, if you want to go mainstream. And as you rightly said. It's hard today to build your whole B2B business model around um, this value proposition because mainstream users would question it, would you know, probably feel a little bit risk adverse. And so I kind of alluded to this a bit earlier, but you know, it seems like you're ser- serving a, a, a more of a crypto native, I would say, audience mm-hmm. for now. How do you or... or, or First, do you plan on serving more traditional businesses, and and what is the what is the sales pitch that you're making to those businesses? Right? How how do you convince those businesses that hey, you know, I mean, look clearly, you and I, you know, being in this industry, totally understand the value of stablecoins, right? Understand the value of, of interacting with with these decentralized protocols, and 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 the benefits that stablecoins can bring from you know the the ability to generate yields that are that 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 offer excess returns to traditional markets. You know that that offer the ability to transact at a very fast rate and, and 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 relatively cheaply. But but how do you convince a traditional you know a, a traditional business that you know they they should you know open a, a bank account that 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 also enables them to interact with stable coins? Well, the first thing is you don't sell crypto, uh, and you know having worked in a very tech oriented company, um, we are still in a very tech oriented space. Uh, first, you don't you don't you don't sell crypto. Uh, you sell the fact that you can offer, um, you know, instant payment abroad. Uh, basically, the punchline would be something around, um, you know, uh, send money abroad as fast as sending an email, and uh, you know, just earn interest when you don't. You don't mention stablecoins. You don't mention crypto. You just mention the value proposition. Now, um, one of the key things we believe at most is that crypto needs to disappear. That you know, we're going to use it as infrastructure. Because realistically, uh, if you talk to most of you know um, startup founders, SMBs, etc., out here in France, uh, which is a totally underserved market by new banks, uh, so there's a lot of room for us to grow. I mean, if you talk, if you only mention crypto, they're not going to join. They're going to be like, "Oh, is is this crypto thing a shady thing?" Or I mean, you know, they still have a lot of insanities around the technology around the you know. There's still bad. Sometimes a bad perception of it, even even though things are, work, are evolving super fast. So you need to sell the value proposition. You need to abstract all the crypto from the interface, and you need to sell to sell only instant payments with yield. That's all. That's what we need to do. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. So, you know, I originally wrote down a question, which was, you know, do you view traditional financial technology companies like Stripe as being competitive to your business? But I, I'd like to rephrase that. I mean, do do you view like like do you view neobanks um you know mobile first banks as your as your biggest 
you know, competitors? Do you view companies like TransferWise? Like who is, who is most competitive to you? Are there crypto companies that you think are competitive? Uh, you well, know, you know, we'd love to you kind of to elaborate on that. To me, the most obvious competitor will be Revolut because they have this kind of, you know, um, dual approach on both cross-border payments because you can own multiple accounts in multiple currencies and they're a new bank um, and they start to grow for businesses. So I think they're, they're, they're probably the strongest competitor. I mean, the, uh, the one we feel the most. Uh, they also see cryptocurrencies as potential alternative payment rails and they're right. So the so yeah, they, they, they could be competitors, uh, but I'm not so concerned. Um, I feel I feel Revolut, and you know, you mentioned all the uh, financial technology companies. Stripe would be the same. Uh, I feel they're still lagging behind and, and focusing on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as new and alternative assets classes, not as payment infrastructure that much, especially with stablecoins. Um, and you know, I, I don't believe that customers will ever pay themselves with gold bars. So I think they're missing out the, the, the stablecoin revolution. Now they're huge. So, uh, you know, they can go fast, but they can also, uh, you know, have issues facing, uh, you know, uh, recurring technical challenges we see um, with the current congestion network, uh, network congestion, for example. And I feel like small teams like ours or many others in the DeFi space are more equipped to tackle those challenges to move fast. But, you know, even so Revolut, even though Revolut could, you know, grow exponentially on, on, on with cryptocurrencies, the payment market, the new bank market is just a trillion dollar market anyway. So there's so much room for small players like us. So I'm, you know, competitors, but I'm absolutely not concerned. Uh, by the way, in the DeFi space, I feel we are the only ones today with a B2B approach. Yeah, I think that. I think that you may be right there. You know, it, it, it feels like DeFi is very much a B2C crypto native industry. And I think your perspective mm. on the industry, right, and trying to solve for payments is, is something that makes sense and something that solves, you know, business need. I mean, we're talking to our partners about helping them set up, you know, uh, you know, Ethereum wallets so that they can start accepting stable coins from us because I'm just sick of paying 40 bucks a month to multiple different people in multiple different countries. I mean, we could save, I don't know, ten, twenty thousand dollars a year if our if our counterparties started, you know, accepting stable coins. So I I, t- I totally see the use case. Hmm. And and so another challenge that that I always like to talk about and, and that I know you do as well is is shitty user experience. Um and you know from having to, you know, KYC to to fiat on ramp to an exchange to converting, you know, your your uh, your your token that you get into different ERC twenty tokens to downloading MetaMask using crappy DeFi UX to just interact with these decentralized financial you know platforms you know it, it's it's just a, a long and arduous experience and also something that your average person is just not going to be able to do hmm. um, and so I, I would I would kind of you know love to hear about your thoughts on on the, you know the user experience than crypto and and how you think it can be improved. It's terrible. I mean, the UX is, is so poor in our space uh, and there's no way for, for crypto to get mainstream as it is today. I think we, uh, and I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier, I think we, we suffer from a very tech-oriented community. You know, that's brilliant, but sometimes too maximalist and, you know, sometimes I feel even taking pleasure in, in maintaining our space kind of, you know, as a gated community. We need solutions like Multis and Argent and other wallets, um, you know, uh, and I actually feel that we are leading the pack in that area. Um, we are building an interface that looks exactly the same as new banks. So, you know, a couple of things um, we, we strive to do. And I think, I think, I mean, other companies are doing it and, you know, the space is moving towards that direction and it feels great, but there's still a lot of work to do. So the first thing is we need to kill jargon, you know, uh, we're talking about money. Well, let's stick to banking vocabulary. We don't need to, uh, you know, uh, there's a new word, a new word every day if you look at Twitter. Um, I mean, it's it's popping out all the time. We need just to stick to banking vocabulary, not to confuse people. Uh, we need to, you know, same thing goes for user journeys. People have been using banks and digital banks for 10 years now. So, uh, you know, when you invest in Compound, it's essentially the same as moving funds from your savings account um, from your checking account to your savings account and then start earning interest. This is the same exact use case. So we should replicate this, this user journey people are used to. Um, and, and this is something I, I, I mentioned earlier as well. We need to be, uh, we, wanna, we should be even more radical. Uh, I really think that crypto should be completely invisible 
and use as payment infrastructure as this alternative financial infrastructure I keep, you know, um, telling you about with stable coins. Beyond, uh, you know, minority of, you know, small B2C DeFi investor community, uh, I don't think that people would ever hold Comp, SNX, uh, you know, all these DeFi tokens. Those will be held by companies like us, uh, building these uh, these interfaces, relying on those protocols. But I don't think they will ever be, um, you know, client facing. So this is this is my take on UX. Uh, we need to we need to break out from crypto and provide the same experience you would expect from 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 B two B solutions or from web solutions. Which is also why, by the way, I don't like the word Web three because it 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 really you know creates an artificial boundary between web applications today that are being used and uh, you know crypto applications. And in the end, people don't care about crypto or about using crypto. They just want good services. Yeah, I think that I think that 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 totally makes sense. I mean, so you know, I, I guess in in that light, what is your view on the rest of the crypto space? Right, we we've talked a lot about stable coins and their usage and payments, but what are your thoughts on how the rest of crypto is evolving? You know, certainly DeFi has become a a, a very large part of the narrative, but you know, the, there there remains a very strong narrative around Bitcoin and Bitcoin being used as a, a hedging asset. And 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 you know and also potentially um, you know some of these other new platforms that are emerging like uh, you know Polkadot like Algorand um, you know serving you know different forms of utility. So so what is your your view on on you know the crypto space more broadly? And do you think that there will be a crypto space that exists outside of kind of what you're trying to build for, which is the you know I, I would say really what you're trying to build is is a banking solution that's just better and the way that it's better is it uses crypto but it's it's you know that that's not the story right but you know how do you think the crypto story on its own is going to evolve well this is a tough question <laughs> um you know i uh, i really believe that ethereum now is too advanced i mean a couple of things here. First we always talk about we hear a lot of things about these so-called ethereum killers. Um I feel that this is too late for them to catch up on Ethereum for the specific DeFi or finance use cases. There's just too many developers and too many protocols out there. So you have this kind of network effect that is really hard to compete with. So I really see, you know, um, specialized chains, uh, layer one solutions, you know, emerging. So, you know, one of them could be Celo, for example. Uh, Celo is building a chain that could be used to uh, run payment networks which means Maltese could be on Celo, running on Celo at some point, um, as long as there is a bridge to, 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 to Ethereum, which brings me to the second point. Um, we need bridges. Since Ethereum is now the leading chain for you know, everything finance, um, you know, there's gonna be, there, there, there will be other applications for blockchains, like in the gaming industry um, you know, or in the trustable, food trustability industry for example so you need bridges because finance is basically the you know the backbone of every business so you need those bridges between those chains so i think there will be you know a lot of work um, done and a lot of you know um, amazing projects built around composability sorry, um, you know uh, composability um, interoperability rather uh, so it could be a project like um, you know cosmos for example um, or even a pocket network for example so this is the second thing i see um, um, uh, I see, I see emerging. Now you mentioned Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin is something I still, um, you know, I. It's funny how many people in the space are trying to use Bitcoin as a payment system, which I still don't understand. Again, there's no way people end up paying with gold bars. There's just too too much invested into Bitcoin now. There's just too many institutional investors to turn it into a payment system. There's just too much too much volatility for that. So I think it's going to be a, a very an amazing censorship resistant um, you know new asset class. But I don't see it evolving in any you know I don't see it evolving any differently. And so one thing on. Uh, Actually, kind of back to the the Ethereum argument that 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 you're 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 making, right? And and things mm -hmm. being built on Ethereum. One of the biggest challenges that we've seen with decentralized finance is just the impact on gas fees, 
right? Mm. And the fact that it, 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 you know, at times has become inc- incredibly expensive to interact on the Ethereum network. And we've seen that with like Tether is now, you know, has moved to OMG. It moved to another um, another network after that. It's, you know, you, there's Tether on Tron, you know, it, they're, they're, you know, you know, USDT, the largest, you know, stable coin is now issued on, you know, I don't know, a dozen networks or whatever it is. So how do you think of about, you know, transaction costs and scalability of these networks? And, you know, maybe if it's just for B2B use that, you know, the, 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 the transaction volume is, isn't as significant, but if we ever see, you know, B2C payments, you know, using stable coins, I have to imagine that that's going to have a, a very ad, adverse impo- impact on transaction costs as, as you know, the, these networks currently stand. Mm. I mean, those, those network fees, those surging network fees have been a, been a pain, uh, you know, especially for companies like Multis or Argent, which are covering for fees. So yeah, it's, uh, it's hell these days, I'm telling you. Now, again, I think, I think you know, um, there's a there's a lot of hype around alternative projects like uh, you know Amisgo or uh, you know Near or you know so many others uh, Polkadot etc. I think there's just too many companies out there working on Ethereum. All the developers, all the developer community are working on Ethereum, uh, which makes it hard to you know to kill. USDT is mainly used for trading, so you don't need programmability. You you you, you can you can use a very you know simple chain you don't need smart contracts to use usdt you're just doing pair trading so which is why i think this is not an issue if you're moving from chain to chain so i don't think i don't think that's a use case that you know uh, i think i think that ethereum can live without usdt being minted on it um so i really think that and and today if you look at you know sharing a little bit of our own experience at multis (laughs) we're already working with companies like uh, you know, um, like uh, CK Sing, for example, building those layer two solutions, and I think the only thing that we needed, um, you know, was just this 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 urge to build scalability solutions. Uh, now that we have the need, uh, we're building out the infrastructure to help sustain, uh, you know, millions of transactions. We might not be able, uh, you know, uh, to do to process every transaction on the blockchain network like it is today, because, as you said will be unsustainable for millions of users, uh, B2C. But now, if we're able to build those layer two solutions, which consist in, you know, uh, batching transaction and, you know, um, 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 saving it onto the blockchain every 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, depending on the use case, now we have an ability to scale this network and keep, you know, benefiting from the composability of these smart contracts. Right. That makes sense. And I think... You know, for for you know, in, in, especially for an international uh, transfer point of view, that that certainly makes sense. But still, I think in my head, you know, I you know, I use Venmo, right? And it's just mm-hmm. so easy. It takes two seconds. It doesn't cost me any money, right? And I think, I guess, as a as a B two C or as 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 a, as a consumer, sorry, not as a, not as a business, it it it's still it still you know offers a, an, an interesting solution. But I think to your point on 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 batching transactions and and sending you know funds to other businesses you know i, I think you're totally right that stable coins offer the best use case for that well, i mean if you look at if you look at venmo today what are they doing is basically settling a transaction uh once a day or maybe once every two days right um so using batching um you know with stable coins you could that you could do that every uh, you know say every four hours and already you would you would you would gain so much scalability compared to existing solutions so I don't really see it as a, it's just a hiccup, uh, you know, for a technology that is constantly evolving and actually moving super fast. So one question that we ask all of our guests, and I guess I, you know, alluded to this a bit, bit earlier, but how do you define fundamentals for crypto? How do you think about cryptocurrency valuation? Does it depend on the token? So, you know, for example, you know, a lot of people talk about the FAT protocol thesis and here, Mm. you know, you've talked a lot about you know, the Ethereum network and the Ethereum network being used for as payment rails for transactions. So how do you think about value accrual within crypto? And how do you, you know, how does value accrue to Ethereum? Um, why, why is Ethereum worth, you know, an amount of money? How does it become more valuable? And, and how do you broadly define what, what a fundamental is for the industry? I might disappoint you with my answer here because we're really focused on building rather than assessing value. But let me, let me share some uh, uh, some some things I uh, I have in mind. Uh, 
Ethereum is just, you know, it's just a gas and, you know, I'm not, uh, it's not a surprise. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just a gas that you need to run your applications and, you know, DeFi going up, you'll still need Ethereum at some point. So I don't think it will ever surge to the levels of Bitcoin because you need Ethereum. And if it's, you know, if those fees are skyrocketing while you build scalability solutions, so I think we'll, 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 we'll stick to figures we can have to, we, we see today. Uh, so I see it more like, you know, a commodity, like, like an oil barrel, for example. Um, now the question is, I think more interesting for, I mean, it's obvious that this Ethereum is the gas that you need to run applications. So I'm more interested in, you know, in those small projects, those small DeFi projects, um, uh, where it feels like investing in those tokens feels like investing as a VC rather than as a community trader, uh, if we keep the comparison with the node barrel going. Um, so at this stage, you know, evaluation and the fundamentals is all about the team and its expertise. Uh, you know, if you look at the most successful protocols today, they, are, they, they were all built by people with tremendous financial expertise. And if you look at Compound, Robert uh, from Compound Finance is, I mean, this is like his third or fourth companies in the financial system. So he knows... He has expertise there, so I'd look at the team. Obviously, just like a, just like for a seed investment, uh, I'd look also, and this is maybe slightly different. Uh, I'd, I'd look at their community, uh, which I think is a good proxy for both, you know, the decentralized nature of the of the of the protocol they're building and and the go to market strategy as well, um, because you know, their community is basically the will be the the people building on top of them, right? Um, so I'd look at those two things to assess the fundamentals of the. Of the company, um, rather than the fundamentals of the token, which, to be quite frank, uh, I mean, you know, when you see the evolution of the fluctuation of the recent fluctuation of price, just bananas. There's, there's, it's, it's just too soon to have actually patterns and and you know frameworks to assess values like you could do with the with other assets. Look at the, I mean, who knows what the next the next token will be? Uh, we we had utility tokens in 2017. That was crazy. Uh, we have governance token right now, uh, you know, uh, uh, with a lot of pumping for, uh, you know, uh, with with yield farming, for example. So I say it's very hard beyond the team and the community to to assess the value of a token. Uh, yeah, so that's where I stand. And to be to be you know, one of the things we learn. So at least we, you know, at Maltis, we try to uh, um, we try to, to to ban all conversations around trading and valuation to focus on building stuff because we feel that's where we can have the most impact. And so what worries you most about crypto? You know, as as you know, as a founder, what if anything about the space keeps you up at night? You know, what do you think are the biggest risks for the digital asset space? Well, we, we, we cannot touch down on that. I mean network congestions today keeps me up at night. It's it's impacting our UX, um, it's impacting our cost basis as well. Um, I mean, it's it's tough times. And, uh, you know, one of the things worrying me um, is is our ability to build the scalability solutions as a community. The, the recent, you know, the, the current network congestion has urged team to work on that and things are moving super fast, but there's still, you know, a possibility that we don't get there. So this is, this worries me, even though we are agnostic in terms of blockchain, so we could move to silo that I mentioned, to NEO, to whatever, um, we still had, uh, you know, we, this will require a lot of work. Uh, so this keeps me up at night. Now, in the long term, I think relations are also something that, uh, you know, uh, keeps me awake. This is, uh, you know, things are evolving super favorably, but, you know, you... Regulations could kill what we built overnight. Um, even though regulators understand that crypto is here to stay now, um, there's still a lot of uncertainties around how do we, uh, around whether we adapt the current uh, regulatory framework to crypto or the other way around. And, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of work with uh, with, uh, with lobbies, um, you know, professional associations to make sure that the regulator doesn't see crypto as a threat, but rather as an opportunity. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is this is really what, you know, uh, keeps me up at night today. And so what about the space has you most excited right now? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm, I'm most excited because there's a phenomenal energy in the space. I mean, when you talk to people, uh, they're all dreamers, they're all pioneers, they're all builders. You meet incredibly smart people. 
and uh, you know you, you have this feeling that you keep learning and learning and learning and you have this you have this vibe of the early 90s when you when you were building out the internet um, you know you know that something something will change the way business and people you know interact together and we are all in this together so there's this 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 fantastic energy and you know I was talking to a we we recently hired our lead marketer and uh, she she used to work in the you know in the ad industry which is kind of dying these days and you know she felt this energy and that's also one of the reasons she wanted to join a company working in a crypto space you know people working on the future always have more energy than people working in the past that's obvious um, and uh, yeah we know that this thing is going somewhere that's extremely extremely exciting. And so my final question is, if you could join as an advisor to any company and project in the crypto space right now, who would you want to join? Mm, I think I'd go for a company I mentioned earlier, maybe two actually. So the first one would be um, Nexus Mutual. So, uh, you know, I, I talked about the insurance and I think that, uh, you know, this is this is a dire need in the DeFi space today. We need we need a product that covers risk, um, smart contract risk, especially. Uh, and Nexus Mutual is building a great product. Um, I mean, they have an amazing team um, with strong insurance and crypto expertise. They're rocking it. Um, so this this will be the first one. Um, this, so that's more the you know um, the pieces of infrastructure and basic services we need uh, as both builders and consumers in the space. Now, the second one would be Argent. Um, I think they're, they're really setting up the playbook in terms of UX. Um, uh, we, 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 we mentioned it. That's a recurring problem in the space. And I think they're really you know, one step ahead of everybody else. Um, I'm always impressed by their speed, by their execution skills, by, you know, um, yeah, they're, they are a great team. And I think in both cases, actually, both at Nexus Mutual and and Argent, um, Hugh and, and Itamar are really inspiring people, entrepreneurs. Uh, I would love to join them and work with them as advisors. Um, yeah, that would be amazing. Awesome. And so where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you online? Well, I guess the best way for, for them to follow us is to go to our website. So that's multis.co, um, M-U-L-T-I-S dot C-O. Um, we are also pretty active on Twitter. Um, on crypto Twitter, as we call it. Um, and I guess we have a blog where we try to share as much as possible on our vision, on our product. Um, and yeah, we, we're going to soon, um, you know, announce a fundraise uh, as well. Um, so we, you know, uh, probably in the coming days. So that, uh, that would be a good opportunity for people to uh, read a little bit more about Maltis. Um, and, uh, you know, we're always happy to onboard new clients. Awesome. So really appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on. It was uh it was really interesting to to dive deep into the banking side of crypto. You know, we focus a lot a lot on the podcast about the trading, the investing side, and 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 the you know I guess the due diligence side of crypto. So really appreciate you coming on and and, and bringing a, a you know a new and unique perspective. I loved it. Thanks for having me, Joshua.